Welcome to part two of our series, What's Wrong with Design? In part one, we've covered process, and in part two, we're going to cover people. Um, my apologies for the sound quality uh, on my side. There seems to be something wrong with the, uh, the online recording, and I couldn't fix it and edit, so I hope you don't uh, mind too much. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a test here. Uh, this is a, a thought experiment. This is not reality. This is not based on data. This is actually just my opinion, but whatever. <clears throat> so there are three roles generally um, thought of in design. Engineering, design, and uh, product, yeah. right? There's research, there's copy, there's all sorts of other things as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Given just a designer, an engineer, and a product person, let's say you're in a startup or yeah, let's say you're in a startup because it's a little bit uh, bigger of a deal there, but you can think of a bigger company as well. If you're the CEO or running the company, how would you rank the people that I just, the roles that I just listed in order of importance to getting your product done? Um, Wor worst to best. best or least impactful or whatever to most impactful. How's about, how about that? building a product? Designing, building, yeah. shipping, the whole thing. Um, I would say that it's a close tie between engineers and designers on the number one, like best. And I would give engineers a little bit of the, a little bit more importance just because of the fact that if you don't have an engineer, then like good luck mm -hmm. getting your product out there. Okay. If not in the, uh, the no code, uh, well, Depends on the product. It always depends, but the, in general, I would say sure. engineers closely followed by designers and then product managers. Okay. So best to worst or most important to least important engineers, yes. designers, product. Okay. okay. I think that's wrong. Tell me why. Obviously I would think that's wrong or otherwise I wouldn't have asked you this question for the podcast. <laughs> yeah. So I think the answer is product engineers, okay. designers. And I'm a designer. And whenever I talk to designers about this, they generally get mad at me. Like, why would designers be at the bottom of the totem pole? So here's the reason. And this will get us into the discussion about people, I think. When you're making any product, pretty much at any level, even in the no code stage and even whatnot, I'm of the opinion that the work that the designers do is generally the fastest work that can be done. And the mistakes that they make are the easiest to fix. Yeah. Now they're not easy to fix, but they're the easiest of the three to fix. So that makes them the bottom of the totem pole, unfortunately. And that's just the way that goes. Engineers, you would think would be number one. However, given the number of engineers out there, the knowledge of the, the engineering realm these days, and then also given the same criteria, the, the time it takes them to do their work is long and the mistakes they make are not easy to fix, but they're not impossible to fix. I say that because even at Twitter yeah. with the fail whale, that got fixed. And that was one of the hardest problems I had ever seen anybody solve. Doing real time, billions of tweets, hitting the satellites and going down to the data servers and yeah. sending it back to you in milliseconds. So they're number two only because their mistakes are not impossible to solve, difficult to solve when they make them and expensive sometimes when they make them. Now, the reason why product is number one is because even though their work is very straightforward, making plans, coming up with strategy, 
understanding the customer and all these other kinds of things. A product person who makes a mistake, sometimes those mistakes completely yeah. fuck you. So literally if a product person makes a bad mistake, they can screw up the entire yeah. company. And I see this over and over. So that's why, in my opinion, the product people are the most important at the top, engineers yeah. are second and designers are third. What do, what do you think about that? Let me just get, let me yeah. get you to respond to that first. So I agree, but in my mind, the order of importance was maybe more, maybe more driven towards the work that they do and the, and the weight it has the actual product. And maybe my, like the execution of the product. Yeah. And out. maybe I was thinking like, Hey, you, you have a CEO because I was reading this, someone did some, mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's not empiric, but they did research on when did companies hire their first product manager, did it for YouTube, Facebook, all the one. And I think on average, it was like employee number. 10 to 12 was product manager. Mm -hmm. um, so my thinking was more of you have a CEO, which of course, most of the time is, is a product is person. So, so the product manager right. you hire after is not as important, but I do agree that the more responsive, like the most responsibility is in hands of the product manager. And accountability. That's the thing that I think that gets lost. I think a lot of people follow this mantra of move fast, break things that Facebook started or ship, always be shipping kind of stuff that the lean startup, you know, mentality provides. But then you, you put the tools in the hands of a product person like MVP, and suddenly they're yeah. making mistakes left and right. And then who's getting blamed? Usually the engineers and the designers, yeah. quite fix, frankly. Fix it. Yeah, just fix it. We'll solve it later. We'll deal with it later. But isn't there like a big discrepancy then between what the accountability and responsibility and the also like pay gives product managers and actually what their skill set is? Sure. But at the same point, like I was saying, the design side of the fence, when they make huge mistakes, it's yeah. the easiest to fix. Like, do you remember years ago when Gap rebranded? Yep. Everybody yeah. freaked out. They reverted the rebrand in two weeks. It's, I'm sorry. The, yeah. All that work. I mean, gone. You even see it with the, like, the latest uh, update of iOS, right? Remember iOS 7, like mm -hmm. all the flat icons and the complete misalignment between the icons and the interface? They fix mm -hmm. that in, yep. I don't know, one or two releases. Yeah. Releases. Yeah, exactly. So I agree with you on, on that kind of thing. I'm just pointing out that the ability to fix the mistakes is usually where I draw yeah. the line. And so this kind of gets into one of the problems of, the, of Silicon Valley, in my opinion, is that if the product, if the product people are the most important, they need to be held accountable for yeah. far more. So when you talked about, we can get into the ethics of things like Facebook and the newsfeed and whatnot and Twitter and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. The product people should be held accountable for all the very bad decisions that they're making. Ultimately funneling up to the CEOs like, like Zuck, he ultimately should be owning everything that's bad about the decisions they made. It doesn't matter what he thinks that he's doing. The decisions are clearly have led to a situation that is not yeah. good. Um, but in general, also the product managers and the product people are the ones forcing faster schedules. They're un asking for situations that are unattainable in some cases, time-wise. This is the whole process thing. They are feeling the pressure from executives to hire fast and, and bring people on board. You, if you take this thing that I'm talking about now, you can actually translate it to the hiring process. The hiring process should be that designers and engineers should be able to be hired reasonably quickly or within yeah. a decent schedule. 
But if you're hiring lots of product managers and product people very quickly, very likely you're going to your business is, is in a world yeah. of hurt. Your company is going to be in a world of hurt because you need to spend a lot of time finding the right product person. You don't need 10, yeah. you need one. And that one will change your business and it'll change everything. Yeah, and you I, do. I think that also shows in, in those numbers, which I just talked about, is that the the first product manager a, a CEO hires at their startup is like number 10 to 15 to in some cases even like number 30 because in the beginning you don't need as many product people if you have your if, if you have if you did your business right you've you basically the product mindset is in the ceo yep so one of the first things to fix in silicon valley is how product managers and product people work how they're hired and how they're evaluated that's if you want to understand why the businesses are, are doing weird or not going well that's where you there, go after. Is there a similar problem with with product managers than that we have in the designer space? Meaning that uh, the expectations of the role vary so much uh, across different companies that in one company the product manager actually is just a project manager, and in another company right. it's much more like a, a topic expert on on the topic. Yeah. This gets back to our discussion on yeah. designer roles, right? I think this definitely applies to the product side because I've encountered people who, just to your point, were project managers. I've seen product marketing managers treated as product managers. I've seen product managers treated as mini CEOs. Yeah, the roles and the expectations are wildly different at the end of it. Yeah, it, your point is very valid there, I think. Maybe even worse is that all these companies that call themselves product companies and say that they need a product manager or a product owner, whatever we want to call it, they aren't mm -hmm. product companies, but just uh, simplified like businesses that if they don't yep. even need a product. They just need offsets and it needs to be. Exactly. No, that's exactly correct. There are some companies who, who the CEO just needs to be the product person. And in many ways, I think you can say that Apple behaved like that when Jobs was there. He led everything. And he simplified the product line. He did a bunch of things on purpose and all the schedules were run by yeah. project people. Uh, there are all these stories of people who had to fly to China on Friday. No, excuse me, on a Monday or morning or something like that, fly to China, work with all the, uh, the manufacturing and um, product factory lines and things like yeah. that in China, fly back on Thursday just to give the weekly update to Steve and crew yeah. on Friday. And they did this every week. <laughs> so, so yeah. So there is a, there's something to be said for, yeah, that idea. If you're going to hire product people, product people yeah. are great, but you don't need a lot of them. If your company has as many product managers or product people as you do designers, you're definitely doing it wrong. So that's not, that's probably project managers and they're all stomping on each other and getting yeah. in each other's way. I saw that at Yahoo and Spades and that's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, yeah, you only need a few product people you only really need a few and they need to be yeah. really good at so their job. maybe let's dive a little bit into what you consider um to be great skills both soft skills and hard skills for a great product manager or is it really dependent on the company they work for it definitely depends on the company they work for i don't know if it really depends the ones that i've encountered and worked with that were really good had a couple of qualities that i was uh, very happy with the very first quality was that when there was disagreement in the ranks or disagreement on the teams about something, they were able to make a decision either collectively or by themselves 
within the time space of when the problem came up. Sometimes in the meeting, they yeah. would just make the decision. It was very clear. If not, they would make the decision by the end of the day, or they make the decision by the end of the week. But it was never, the decision was not made. The decision was very concrete and very much um, clear what was going on. And if you didn't like the decision, you said you didn't like it, but if you didn't do what the decision was, okay. you were gone. So that's the first quality that I've seen is um, that kind of leadership yeah. is very decisive. The second one I've seen is, yeah, I have this fun story about my friend, Brian Lampkin, who was my first manager at Adobe. And he was the product uh, manager for Photoshop. And he went on to become the SVP at Adobe. He's still there, I think now, where I was working on the creative suite yeah. direction. And I had a bunch of these designs. I did all these variations. I was really excited because I'd been at the company for three, four months. And I, he came to my office one day because he usually liked to just come see what I was doing and, and check in on me. And uh, I started showing him all these designs. He, was like, he got excited. He thought, this is really great. Let's, let's look through this more and whatnot. And after about a half an hour of this kind of very animated discussion and having some fun, I looked at him and said, okay, which direction do you want me to do? And he paused and looked at me a little quizzically. He says, huh? I'm like, yeah, well, which, which one do you want? Which way, which way should I go? <laughs> and I'll never forget this. He just looked at me and he laughed a little bit. And then he just kind of uh, said, hey, Andre, if I knew the answer to that question, I wouldn't need you. Yeah. And then he said, figure it out. And he, and he walked away. <laughs> I, look, look, I said, okay, I get this. This is, this is on me and I better do a good job or else it's not going to go well. So a good product person will give the team or the people the room to make the decisions. And in that decisiveness column, when the decisions are conflicting with the team members, they will be decisive in getting yeah. progress going forward. So the team also acts as a, like a board of advisors on their topics they're experts in. And they don't ask like, they, the, the product manager is not the, what you see sometimes is the product manager tends to be like the know-it-all on everything. You don't want that. No, you want the product manager to let the people do their jobs yeah. and get them excited to do their jobs. When I was showing all my designs to Brian, he was excited, which made me more excited. And I wanted to make sure that I was doing a good job. And he made it clear that he was, I was doing a good job by his excitement. But then when I asked him like, which one do you want? He looked at me and was like, that's not my job. My job is to lead. Your job is to figure out what we're going to do here. And yeah, go do your homework and figure out what the engineers can do, what our customers want, what's possible. Like, don't ask me what I want. That's yeah. not the job. I was... I posted something on, on Twitter, a little bit of a rant, like I think yesterday or the mm. or even the day before yesterday, which was about, or basically said, product managers should know how to work with Figma, at least swap components, change copy, and do some basic screen exporting. And the reason I said that is because I believe that if you, sorry, Siri, that, and, and the same, I think the same goes for engineers and researchers, because I think if, you, if we all show a little bit more empathy or interest in each other's work, then we stop this mentality of, hey, do this stuff for me. Hey, do this stuff for me. And which, like, I find it unpleasant working relationship. The same as I like to think that as a designer, it's also your job to have empathy for the engineers, because at the end of the day, they have to build mm -hmm. your stuff. So me having empathy mm -hmm. for the engineers means that while I'm, designing my stuff, I think about like how they should be built. Am I not asking too much of their time or will it become super complicated or super uh, performance heavy? And I think the same should be for, uh, should be towards designers. 
Yeah, I, I can see the value in that. I can definitely understand where you're coming from. I think a lot of that depends on the tools themselves. So tools like Figma these days, uh, because they're available in a web browser, for example, make it possible yeah. and more easily accessible for the product people. Whereas something like you know Photoshop and Illustrator, you have to have a license, you have to buy it, et cetera. And they're also pretty hardcore creative tools that are a little bit obtuse in some ways. So I definitely agree. I will make an exception when the tools aren't that good. And the tools have gotten a lot better, so the excuses are a lot uh, less, especially on the designer side, making the presentations or contributing to the yeah. slide decks. You can use Google uh, Google Docs these days for a lot of that. So where the tools make it possible, I definitely agree. There needs to be a lot of empathy across the the, the, the roles. Agreed. And, and I think that's where uh, like a lot of the shine from Figma comes from, the fact that they make yeah, it definitely. inclusive. Yeah. And one of, well, one of the best unintended, not unintended consequences, it was intended, but it actually, that it worked five years later was that by doing it in GL and doing it and building it in such a way that as being platform agnostic, you open up the possibility of building a tool that can be accessible by yeah. more than just designers. Agreed. So back to the people problem. Yeah. So the second part of the people problem, second part is designers themselves. <laughs> I'm not going to speak to engineers yet, although I have a, have a pain point with them. And if they don't like me after that, then too bad. But I'm going to talk this to the designers right first. Or should I do no, the engineers this designer. first? This could be our last episode. Okay. Yeah, it could be our last episode. I might not have a job ever again. No, I, I have the saying I, I like to say a lot. I have a lot of stupid sayings. So I'm not a big fan of capital P process, but I, I understand process, lower, lowercase p. And the way I express that is that designers, designers don't use a process. They have a process. So when a designer uses a process, that's capital P process. That's the lean startup. That's the fill in by numbers. That's designed by committee. That's um, design thinking uh, turned uh, into recipes. That's a lot of consultancy people telling companies yeah. how to do their work. It never goes well when you use a process, generally speaking, because all your thought and all of your, all the things that you as a designer bring to the table tend to go away yeah. and get replaced. But every designer has a process and I get very frustrated when designers won't admit to that. If you don't admit that you have a process, I get that you don't want to use a process. I hate using processes. I, I refuse to do them as much as humanly possible. But I will tell people that I have one and how I go about doing yeah. certain things. And if you're not willing to express what your process is, then you're going to be an island and you're going to be working on your own and you're going to be frustrated when people don't understand what the hell you're doing or you're going to make something that is un or you could design something that is unmakeable. And then you're going to be creating the more of the problem of this notion of the genius designer sitting in their castle yeah. on high, dictating things down below to the plebes. So that's my opinion. I don't know what you think about so, that. I think it was one of the first design meetings I had when I was at, at Booking. And you had to present these things. Maybe it wasn't design jam, but something like the design presentation. And I made the stupid mistake of designing or, or presenting my process. This is how I like to uh, design. And I think I made the distinction in new product development versus existing product improvement or optimization, if you want to call it. And, I think I, yeah. re I remember and this. And I presented this process and beforehand I was like, oh, this is really great. This is really great. I'm going to really show people what a great process looks like. And the uh, reactions overwhelmingly were like, what the fuck is this? I don't agree with this. Like people were like, what, what is this? I have my own process. Uh -huh. Like, why, why are you trying to make your process my process? This is not how it goes. And then I realized right. really quickly after, it's like, this is just for me, and I should keep it to myself. 
because people don't like, the, especially designers, don't like to be dictated how to do their work. And that's also why mm -hmm. I think that I have s such a big problem with the with the process with a capital P is because the process is for me, uh, and I think you mentioned this also sometimes, like I see design as a thinking skill. And it's the yeah. process is there to make sense of your thinking and to convert your thinking into something that is deliverable. Yes, exactly. I, I think that's very yeah. uh, true. And on top of that, when you have a capital P process, you lose all the ability to play, to make, to improvise, to get out of sticky situations that you didn't see coming yeah. down the pike. All, yeah, all of that. Yeah. And to that point, so like you, you, so there it's ironic there, you expressed your process, but you made it sound like capital P process yep. to people. And then the people who didn't like it were like, I have my own way of doing it, but I still wonder if they would be willing to at least admit what theirs is or what they like to do. I think if you sit down and give a presentation, here's what I like to do as a process. Here's the things that I tend to do. And here's where I tend to work. But then you say, and here's why I like it. This is what happened when this, when I do it this way, I find I give my brain room to do this, or I find that it causes me to think more critically about what I am yeah. trying to solve. But if you get into the whys about that, then I, then there's some potential for people to hear it, yeah. I, I think. But designers in general, it's crazy. I think we as a group of people don't like to talk about our process. And then for the ones that we, where we do use, where we do have teams that use the, the capital P process, largely because either designer product or engineering wants us to, then they wonder why the results aren't yeah. very good. And it's because you just, you lose all of what a designer brings to the table, which is that yeah. thinking ability. That's the intention of what we do as designers is to think through something. Yeah, and I think a great example is that if you give 10 designers the assignment of document your process and they have to document their designs, none of them, mm -hmm. maybe generalizing here, but none of them will actually reach out to the other nine and say, Hey, let's do something that I'll build something or you build something. I'll just piggyback a few and, uh, we'll put it in a cohesive way. Yeah. They will all build or design their own documentation process. If someone presents <laughs> yeah. something new, it, it's always has a new layout, has a new design, has a new, I think be because we get so overwhelmed with all this documentation bullshit is we try to think of everything we do as, oh, there's a creative way of me trying to actually present something in a way that mm -hmm. uh, makes me look good or something. That for me just really like sums it up because the, the process itself, is it really important to show what the process? I think it can be because by showing them what the process is, you're also inviting somebody to work with you. <laughs> but I think it, it, if you treat it as an invitation, then it's good. But if you're playing bass and I'm playing drums, I don't expect you to play the drums with me or play the drums. But if I can get you into how I practice or what I'm doing with the drums, and then you can get a groove on the bass, then yeah, that's, that I think is cool. So it's not critical to do, but yeah, when you show people your process, the way you like to do things or how and why, then I think you're definitely inviting so here's them the train in of, with you. Straight train of thought. I had this idea and I'm, I'm still in the talks with a, with a chef to have a podcast about the similarities between a process of a chef versus of a designer, mm. because I've talked with Thomas about this as well. So I like to do like what chefs would call like a mise en place before designing. It's like really put down all the tools and, and um, Mm -hmm. stuff that I need for design <laughs> yeah. before I go into design, figurative speaking, of course, I don't put all the tools on my desk. Mm -hmm. And I believe that if you go into, if you look at uh, chef's table and if you look at like other programs that talk about like the chef process, 
there is a well-defined process there and everyone in the kitchen adheres to the process. <coughs> they all of their, I think, have their responsibilities, but they like the, the process is something they, they are, I think are proud of and they teach to other people like what their process is. And like, especially interns in a restaurant, like they go there to learn the process. Yeah. Yeah. So I, maybe this is a terminology thing. What you're describing, there's some process to it, but I also think of that as production. So I think production needs to be very much understood and, and whatnot. So there's some execution production stuff, which is to me, the world of engineering. Well, we'll get to that in a second as the third aspect, but there's some of what you say is process and some of what is, some of, and some of it is production. And I think making a distinction yeah, there. Maybe, control. yeah, misphrasing there. What I meant more is that um, you have these, you have an episode in Chef's Table around uh, Noma when they go into, they're going to make their new menu and they're in this creative process mm -hmm. of finding the flavors and they yes. go into the force, like basically. Yeah. So that part yeah. is process. Yeah. That part is what's the menu going to be? What, what kind of ingredients do we have? What can we make? How do we explore? How do we play? But when it comes down to, okay, now we're in the kitchen and we're laying out the tools this way, we have to go through this and this to make the results. That's to me more production. Because the thing for me is like the difference there between actually production and like the creative process is that uh, most of the time when you're doing a creative process, you don't know what the end result is going to look like. So coming yeah, up with a process exactly. there doesn't make sense because that means you're expecting something which you don't know. And that's exactly why, yeah, that's spot on. That's exactly why I say capital P process is, is bunk because it means that what you're going to make and part of the design process is you don't know what's going to come out the other but end. Well, how do you think that designers should Definitely. solve this given that they're in a company um, where there is a process with a capital P? I think the design managers need to be more aware of this and solve it for the designers. There's lots of ways of, of doing it. Like when I was working with you, I don't know, don't know if you remember, but you had a very different process than I did. And I backed off because I wanted to give yeah. you space. But part of what I wanted to do then is I had to figure out how to make sure that whatever came out the other side of your result of, of your process was was could be communicated and consumed yeah. and understood. So I just kept an eye on you to make sure I knew what you were doing and where you were going with it. So I could help facilitate yeah. later on. So I think that role is definitely design managers and design leaders and companies need to find good ways of creating space, providing room, all of that sort yeah, of thing. That makes sense. And maybe also facilitating in and do educate about certain things, which are more of like a, like a production side, right? I think trust people, mm -hmm. trust yes. the designers in the creative process, but when it comes to how do you deliver your designs, how do you share your designs with, with the rest of the company, those processes quote unquote should be defined and you should trust them because they're there to make it easier for yeah. you and not to make it hard. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that gets into things like why I would always buy uh, inkjet printers for large printouts to yeah. put around the, the office. That's an easy way, super cheap, easy way to communicate very quickly what's yeah. going on without changing the process too much and keeping people going. The other one is as much as I love multiple artboards that sketch and now illustrator and now Figma provide, when designers put everything into one file, that's one yeah. artboard, it's super hard to understand what the hell is going on. So as an engineer, expecting them to go through these huge files is ridiculous. So break up your files and make them more consumable so that the engineers can understand yeah. what the hell is happening. So stuff like that. These are all the, what you're saying is very true in that regard. Cool. Um, so 
That was something I wanted to get back to. Yeah. So you mentioned that the it's stupid for a company to have uh, more where the ratio between product managers and designers is equal. That's just stupid. Yeah. Do you think there's like an ideal ratio or? Oh, absolutely. This one kills me. So uh, this and this is my opinion. I don't have any data to back this up. I, I this has just been my experience over the years. What I've noticed is that basically for every researcher. Uh, customer experience researcher or user experience researcher or product person, either or. For each one of those who are doing very well, executing at their job very well, they can generate enough data and enough stuff to do, jobs be done, work, etc. for three to five designers. So for every designer doing their job at a really good level, executing well, etc., they can generate enough stuff to be made, enough engineering stuff to be built for roughly three to seven yeah. engineers. Call it five is the sweet spot. So if you go that route and you have one product manager, let's say, let's do the math, two product managers and one researcher, three people, and we'll call the designers optimal level three. So you have three times three, now you have nine designers. And then we'll do the engineers at five instead of seven. So nine times five is 45. Yeah. So 45, nine, and three is what? 12 plus 45, yeah. 57 people? Yeah, boom, 57 people from just two product yeah. managers and one researcher. 52, what's the, what's the number? Yeah, that makes so sense. That right? But now look at most companies and see what the hell's going on. It's yeah, ridiculous. Sometimes I'm baffled even by the, the fact that the, the product managers outweigh designers in some teams. Yeah, they did a Yahoo and that threw me off. I'm not going to get into numbers there, but there was roughly three times as many product people as there were designers. And they wondered why things were not working very well. It's like impossible to execute. Even if you were able to try to do research and, and all your other part of the job, even just the execution level, the amount of work is just production work. And it's not, there's no innovation or exploration or playfulness or any of that. It's just Do you think the, if we go further along, like the ideal team that that a team like that also will need a, a, a project manager on the side who can take care of the... Yeah, so this does not include uh, middle yeah. management people. So at most companies, I still believe that you should have managers that can handle managing across yeah. uh, horizontally multiple teams. So in that regard, this does not include managers whatsoever. This is just people doing work to build and the product. So yeah, at a, at a startup, you get one product person, three designers, 15 engineers. That sounds about right. How would you divide these teams? Would you say that this one product manager and their three designers and their uh, three to five, 15 engineers are one team? So to the point back in the nineties, what I just, just, just described yeah. was Photoshop. Now I'm not talking about the 30 plus QA people we had and a bunch of the product marketing managers and the other support people we had, but to build Photoshop, it was two product managers, myself plus a half um, when I got support and then 10 engineers. Well eight engineers. And then as we grew, it grew normally. So the thing that I'm describing is actually the size of a good small startup, yeah. a good product startup getting off the ground. That's what you can do right there. And it's a good size. How you build those teams into other, into a larger company, that team can actually build an entire mobile app. That team can build the iOS app. You can have another team building yeah. the Android app. If you make the team work on a small feature, let's say the photo feed, you could do that if you make them work on the photo feed across web, iOS, yeah. and Android. But if you have three teams working on photos where of that size, where one's working on web, the other one's working on iOS, and the other one's working on Android, you're quickly going to get into trouble 
um, because now they're clashing into each other across platforms and they're doing the same thing on the back end uh, in different that ways. That makes sense. So that's my opinion. I look into companies and I like, whether it be Booking or Twitter or Yahoo, and they're all organized in these very strange ways. And I don't get it, but they think it works for them. Yeah. I don't think it I does. I think it's a legacy from, from the whole lean startup and uh, break everything. You remember like the, the, the Spotify, uh, the Spotify like model it. where they had like the guilts and, and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, oh, this is great. And then at yeah, the time yeah. they were preaching that Spotify wasn't even using it itself anymore because they knew it was horrible. Yeah. It, it definitely feels like that. Yeah. I, at the end of the day, I, I, I think people, the great thing about software is that if you design it properly and you design it well, you do it to scale, et cetera, you do systemic thinking on it, on the build, you don't need 10,000 people to do the job. You don't need a thousand people. You can actually do an entire mobile app with a small team of 20 people. Yeah. It's great. That's the beauty of software. And then that team can be really tight. They can have a lot of fun. They get to know each other. They get on good rhythms and schedules. They understand vacation times. They don't burn out. The whole thing. It's, in my opinion, it's cool. the best way to go. I think to sum it up, there were three problems with people in, in the tech or design industry, as we want to call it. The last one is engineering. Engineering, I think, is pretty straightforward, in my opinion. Engineer. So if you think about all of the products we, we use today, all the, the, the stuff, think about all the code that yeah. has been written and how all of this code is intertwined and intermingled. Yeah. Now, somebody please show me the documentation and who understands what. So engineers are great, they're smart, they do all kinds of amazing things. The best engineers I've ever worked with document everything they do. And I don't care how they do it, but they document it, whether it be inline code comments, whether it be naming files a certain way and naming variables and really good at naming structures so that it's, the code is just more readable. But one of the problems in Silicon Valley is that because the engineers have built things so quickly and many of them can't be bothered to explain or document what they're building because they get paid so much money and they don't have to really talk to anybody if they don't want to. (laughs) Because of that, when you run into a systemic problem, the solution is not to go in and actually fix it. The solution is to just throw it away and build something new. And if we ran our cities that way, some cities have been run that way in the United States and they're falling apart. But if you decided at a city level, as a city manager, say the pipes under the city, they're just a mess. We don't know anymore. Let's just forget them, leave them there. Let's just build a new system. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) That's just not going to really work. In some cases you can do that, but the pipes are still there. They're still connected to things and they're rotting the the ground below the buildings. You got to fix it. So for me, the biggest problem with engineering is the, the tools they use and the way they go about their work. It's so interconnected and yet so disconnected on process, on documentation and who's doing what and how things are working. And then when engineers fight, they just, they just ignore each other and do their own thing. And that's got to stop. For as much as software has become important to the world, that has to change. And engineers need to really yeah. own that and get their act together and make it so that we all understand what the hell's going on and how to fix the legacy things and, and maintain yeah. things going forward. I- I find it funny, or maybe it's not even funny, but it's more sad actually. How many times um, we've run into like we've run into a problem, and then one of the engineers, whether it's the back end or the front end folks, they say, "Yeah, that's going to be hard because I have to really have to find what the problem is, and I have no idea. This could take me a week to find out what the problem is." And like imagine mm-hmm. doing in any other field, saying like um, building something, and then yeah, there's something like yeah, I have to 
take me a week to find what the problem is. Exactly, right? It, it makes, it's one of the reasons why the stuff we have is not good. It's crashing and people don't know what the behavior is. The algorithms are, have become magical. Engineers don't have to explain themselves. I love the whole thing about, about algorithms, right? So we have all these ethical discussions about algorithms. And everybody talks about the algorithm as if it's magic. Yeah. There's this magic going on that nobody understands. No, somebody wrote that. Go talk to them and tell them to document what the hell they wrote and explain it to you. Yeah. This is not magic. If you have them explain it to you, then and if they don't want to explain it to you because of legal reasons, then go get a subpoena. And <laughs> they, they wrote an algorithm. It's not hard. There was a, the, an interesting discussion yesterday. I'm not sure if you read it about the uh, this person. Um, testing Twitter's algorithm by making a really large mm. image where the top one was a generic white dude in a in suit and tie and the bottom picture was one of Barack Obama. And Twitter, when it the, the image itself outreaches the, the thumbnail size, Twitter optimally yeah, it crops, cro it. It crops it. And they cropped, like the guy tried everything and they cropped it to the white guy. Every single, every single time. time they even put yeah. four Obamas and then one white guy and gave him the same tie, gave him the same suit color, whatever. And they always cropped to mm -hmm. uh, the white guy. And yep. at some point someone said, let's stop saying blame the algorithm and start saying blame the person who created this because there's a person or there's multiple people behind this. It's always all, oh, but this is the algorithm. Uh, we have to see what went wrong. So I know what went wrong. Someone designed it and made a mistake. Encoded it. Yeah, yeah, encoded it. And in this particular case, I, I can actually see why the algorithm might be doing that just based on what I know about pixels and code. Yeah. And it might be an honest mistake. It actually might be an innocent mistake. But so we have to use the word blame in, the, in, a, in, a, in a different way too, because you know it, it's sometimes it's, it's a technical yeah. thing that's going on. That's fine. But you should know that so I we can agree. fix it. Let's, let's I agree. Look. But so, someone, I had a discussion yesterday as well with someone and they said, yeah, and the some, it's a mistake and maybe it's like a, an, an honest mistake and maybe maybe they didn't really mean it. But the thing is, at the end of the day, now it's an algorithm that picks a picks a crop. It's the same algorithm yep. that gives you a credit score, hands you out loan, gives you a job, all those. Yeah. And then, yep. Yeah, it's not acceptable. Even exactly. though it's a mistake, it's not acceptable. Yeah, I get that. That gets back to the product person. You need the right product people. There are product people who are willing to ship things that are not should not be being exactly. shipped. So quickly sum up what we've talked about today. We've talked about how the engineers um, should behave, document the shit out of everything they do. Then we've talked about the designers. Yep. Having a process and being able to communicate yeah. it and invite people into their process, but don't yeah. use and a process. And sometimes just follow the fucking process and don't start try to invent the wheel every fucking time. Yep, that's true. And then on the product side, that the product people are the most important. And uh, we need to be very careful who we hire, how many yeah. we hire. And who these people are, because when they make mistakes, they they screw everything exactly up. <laughs> and maybe and maybe even yeah. we need a some sort of QA, but then for ethics. Yeah, I think yeah, that's a whole. I'd love to get my uh, friend Kenneth Bowles on for that discussion. He's done the whole ethics yeah. thing. I I don't know if I'm qualified. I, well, I I know I'm not qualified, although I have lots of opinions about it. That's such an amazing difficult conversation that I don't, I still like to just focus on. So the things that we're talking about, yeah. the problems with people, in, in my opinion, are very yep. pragmatic. It's like, okay, don't hire people too fast for product. Make sure you really know who they are and only hire a few of them. Designers, get your act together, communicate, make stuff in a way and show your process, invite people in, yada. And engineers, document the hell out of things and be held accountable and be able to explain what the code does.
Those are very yeah. pragmatic things. Ethics is, I, I don't know. <laughs> that's uh, that's yeah. maybe good for a separate topic and then we'll invite some actual experts. On. Exactly, cool. exactly. And I'll, be I'll try to be quiet as much as possible because I'll get myself in serious trouble. Thanks for joining us this week on the Designers FM show. Make sure to visit our website, designers.fm, where we put links to all the shows on all the different platforms so you never have to miss one. And uh, you can also subscribe to updates so you don't miss a show. Um, while you're at it, if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes or just tell a friend about us. We'd be extremely thankful. That's all for now. I'm your host, David, and this class is dismissed. <laughs>